Welcome back to Entertainment Geekly. I'm Darren Franich, sitting across from me for the first time ever, for the I first think, time ever in, in our in room. our history. Jeff Jensen, Woo-hoo! how's it going, Jeff? It's going well. How are you, Jeff? I think it's so great that uh, the same week that the X Files, a beloved. <laughs> iconic, wildly influential geek series returns. How, how appropriate that our equally influential and iconic geek series returns to the airwaves? Is that where podcasts Sure, absolutely, move? yes. Uh, definitely the, the entire nation has been waiting for both of these things to return <laughs> in equal measure, these huge cultural icons. Each year at Comic-Con, there have been people asking, when's it going to come back? People were wondering if Entertainment Geekly was going to be a movie this time. Oh, really? We've been, we've been, we've been Hard at work on the on, on the Entertainment Geekly movie. Uh, and by each of the people, you mean basically just like <laughs> you and me when we run into each other. Sometimes, at, at sometimes my mom will ask me, hey, when, are, "When are you and Jeff going to record another another podcast?" And, and then there's that one guy, and you know who you are. And I'm sorry, I actually don't really know your name on the on, on the Twitter who, who dutifully listens to this podcast and summarizes it in two sentences. Are you talking about at, at Jack Ferrick? In, that, 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 in some yes, ways, yes. I would argue he is the third co-host of Entertainment Geekly. I, I look forward to seeing what he will say in uh, under 140 characters about this episode because Jeff we're talking X-Files X-Files I'm sure I believe we've we've been talking about it one way or another the whole time we've known each other I think the X-Files is so central to everything that has happened in the geek nerdosphere in the last 25 years Um, It is back now on television. This episode should be dropping a day after the series premiere, the miniseries premiere, the the rebooted premiere, the season 10 premiere, revival. There's there's a lot of of different fun new words that have come up for for describing television that we'll get into. Um, X-Files is back. I thought it'd be fun to start off talking about some episodes that we'd recommend from the original run of the show. X-Files is on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that there are so many episodes. This, that, that, that was a show that was made at a time when there were 24 episodes per season. So I would imagine either to a newcomer looking to dive into the show or to someone who loved the X-Files back in the day and wants to get back into it, it may seem crazy to think of where to begin. So uh, I want to just throw out one episode that I always recommend to everyone, um, which is the postmodern Prometheus, the black and white Frankenstein riff episode from, I believe, season five, uh, written and directed by Chris Carter. Um, Chris Carter, actually, it's interesting looking at the episodes that he put his name on, because I think starting around season four and season five, he would once or twice per season take it upon himself. You know, it's funny like how with David Chase, part of his mythology as a TV creator is that he was a frustrated wannabe filmmaker to a certain mm-hmm. extent. And he sort of, you know, who knows how true this is, but that's how, you know, he imbued a lot of that frustration of wanting to create art cinema and 70s cinema into his TV show. And Chris Carter, I think... There's some of that with him because in season six or seven, he did Triangle, which was the sort of the, the, the rope episode, basically, like Alfred Hitchcock's rope shot all in one long take or in sort of an, an attempt to do all one take on, on network television. And Postmodern Prometheus is kind of like that. It's very conceptual. It's shot entirely in black and white. It's very much a riff on the Mary Shelley story. And I just think, I mean, as far as being both a just a great 
looking episode of television that is still totally unique to a certain extent. It is one of those great X-Files episodes where they go to a small town and it initially just looks like every sort of, you know, like Mayberry small town and immediately realize that everything is much weirder there than you could possibly imagine. But then in turn, the weirdness becomes very poignant by the end. I don't know. That's that's one episode that I remember just as a kid watching it and thinking, there's nothing else like this on mm-hmm. television. And also has that great sort of like self-aware ending where it's like they're very meta about the fact that they're telling a story and whether or not this story is ending in the right way and how should it end. It has that really lovely ending with uh, going to the Cher concert. Going to the Cher funny. concert. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Where I, I think, I mean, it's not actually Cher, but, but I, I believe like, the actress playing her is, is, is right. which again works into what you're talking about where it's this, this, this sort of beautiful fantasy. And I always remember the, sh- the very final shot without spoiling the episode is of Mulder and Scully dancing. Oh, of course. I get, I get tingles. Yeah. Just, it, it's such a beautiful little moment. And I, I don't know. I, that, that to me just to think about, what the Monster of the Week episodes could do as far as being yeah. these full, beautiful, just stories. You know, like, a lot of episodic television at that time, and even now to a certain extent, you know, it's all kind of little tapas-style appetizers each week, and only when you're finished with the season do you get the full feast. And I just feel like that's an episode that, in 45 minutes or less, is a, 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 a incredible narrative riches and, and, and a feast to, 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 to finish that really awkward metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> now that episode was interesting because by that time in the run of the X-Files, you're starting to get into the middle part of the series run and they, they've done a lot of storytelling. They've brought the characters a long way. They've developed the conspiracy mythology storyline to almost as far as it could possibly go. And I think it's about the middle of the series that they actually try to, to, to reboot it a little bit. And so you, 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 you see the, the Carter and his writers start having a little bit more fun and take some more chances with, 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 the, with the show and do some real offbeat stuff. I think this is about the time that they're asking like Stephen King to pen an episode and William Gibson to pen an episode. And then in comes two of the greatest episodes in X-Files history. <laughs> he says sarcastically. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> was it was it Gibson or King who had a really fraught situation when he wrote the episode? Because I remember sure. there was one of them. I mean, neither episode is all that great. Gibson's is is kind of virtual reality inflected, as 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 you might imagine. King's I think is about a scary doll. If I'm recalling correctly, I remember correctly. a scary doll. There was, but it was, but but yeah, no. I mean, you're right. That was the period when. I mean, do you think were they in hindsight were they totally over the the mythology conspiracy stuff by then? Like like was that had their interests shifted so to the kind of experimental wacky, you know, let's make this episode a conceptual side of things? No, I think they were still pretty committed to it, but I think that they were starting to um, worry that it was swamping the series and that they may be losing, may have lost control of it uh, to some degree. You know, there is this rich debate over whether or not they really knew what they were doing all along with the conspiracy storyline or whether they were kind of making things up as they went along and, and doing it rather haphazardly. And this show, in specifically, the, the struggles and the, the, the result of it all really kind of gives rise to that early century kind of fixation with um, master plans and serialized television and whether or not these shows that aspire to tell really long-form storytelling like know where they're going. And you kind of really see that 
kind of like reach full force and, and, and that debate swamp lost, right? Mm-hmm. But the X-Files and the legacy of the X-Files kind of sets up that kind of conversation. Um, and, and around the middle, yeah, you had this sort of like mythology and this conspiracy that was compounding in both intentionally directed and rather kind of like maybe haphazard ways and and just becoming really interesting and really interesting but you know you had all they were coming at it from all of these different points of directions there was clones and genetically engineered warriors and bees and black oil oh, that 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 like genetically engineered alien bounty hunter who kept on popping up was such a he he was such a figure for so long without ever being remotely explicable in the context of 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 the of the series right and i think that part of the the fun of of, of fans like me that was really engaged by by that storyline um, was a believing naively that there was real order and structure and logic behind everything, but then b trying to figure out how everything synced up and um, how it all fit together and, and where it was all going. And I think part of the frustration for me as it went along was just the feeling that like, no, it really wasn't all adding up. <laughs> and, uh, and you kind of didn't know where all of these wonderfully intriguing pieces, all, they all connected to this larger mythology story about alien collaboration with humans trying to take over the world. But maybe there were some rival groups of aliens trying to stop them. I, I got really confused in the middle of it. I think there was an attempt... Like I said, like in the middle of the series to maybe kind of either end this th- th- that story in some way or at least like park it in some way. And then in the latter half of the series, they kind of like restarted it and, 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 and rebooted That's it. That's a, a really good point. Well, you're right because in my memory, you're so right. I mean I, I really think seasons four through even into seven – are for me the sweet spot of the X-Files yeah. just because it, exactly for the reason you're describing. That is when, you know, the, the willful experimentation that was always there in the show just gets pushed to such an extreme. And it seems like, you know, by that point, you had so many writers who essentially got their start on the X-Files. And so you see people like Vince Gilligan and James Wong and Glenn Morgan. You know, th- you, it's, it's kind of great that you see them getting better and better. And so even in kind of some later seasons that aren't so great, you'll have Vince Gilligan and I think wrote that one of the last episodes before Duchovny left, so it's the end of season seven, which is just a, a, a genie of the lamp episode, and it is so wacky and so strange. It just, you know, it, it feels like that is the X-Files that I like. But you, you're right, though. I, many part of the problem was when Mulder left, just for kind of coherence, they needed to sort of bring back the mythology in a big way. And like, that's, yeah. that's when you get to, like, Adam Baldwin and people with weird things in the back of their neck, and just, yeah, all, all very bizarre attempts to corral everything that never happened into some coherent story. Mm. You're, you're touching on one of the things I really loved about the show because in addition to the characters and the relationship, in addition to uh, that sort of like conspiracy mythology storyline, which for several years was really gripping. And in addition to these like just wonderfully crafted um, monster of the week episodes 
um, that I think now we remember as the strength of the show. Is that strange? Of, yeah, that's yeah, weird. I mean, it's one of the, like, like, while we were watching it, I certainly remember thinking, I mean, you know, I, I watched every episode of the show starting from uh, towards the end of, of season one. And I remember just as a kid, you know, I'd watch Monster of the Week and like it fine. But then you'd see a preview for the next week's episode and, you know, you'd see some, some alien imagery or you'd see, you know, you know, uh, the, the, uh, Cancer Man or Crycheck was back and you'd be like, boy, oh boy, this is is it like now we're getting back into like the real the real jam of the show and in turn naively i would always think this is the episode where they answer everything you know that that was somehow i mean like maybe you know maybe i mean maybe i I was just like like, too young to realize that that was not going to happen necessarily but that was part of the appeal of the show and yeah yeah, now in hindsight i mean really i i almost tell people now maybe to the detriment of some of the show's real successes in in serialization i always tell people just pick out a great monster of the week episode because that is you know that is digestible now and it is it is a a pure a a pure success on its own terms whereas anything talking about the mythology you have to kind of take the successes with the failures and like you know you take erlenmeyer flask as a great early conspiracy episode with some of the later ones right what 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 monster of the week episode do you do you kind of like pick out as being one of your favorites or being you know representative of of what you liked about uh, the x-files um, well, I think early on, um, the episode that made me a fan, cause I didn't really watch it much of the first season, but the episode that I remember most vividly, and I have a lot of sentimental attachment to, and I'm not going to say is the best of this genre was the one that I just remember most vividly. And I was like, okay, I'm in, I got to watch more is the host or the fluke man episode. Oh um, yeah. And that kind of like, uh, that, that was just sort of creepy and funny and weird and altogether just kind of like well done and uh and and, and gross and in, gross. in a way that like television really didn't do then and even today i mean just the fluke man is so great because just as as creature design that looks like a nightmare you know in a way that like you know we, we can talk so much yes. about you, you know you can talk a lot about x files as a written and performed show but that's an example of just the, the look of it was so unlike anything else on television yeah and i think that i mean it was a it's a really kind of great example of early X-Files Monster of the Week episodes very conventionally told. I mean, that, that, that pretty straightforward storytelling. Um, and, and, and not exa- exactly an example of the kind of episode that you loved and pointed out, which is Postmodern Prometheus, which, um, like, to get to that, I think the point that we were talking about, one of the things that the X-Files did really wonderfully in addition to everything else was that it was just willing to take chances and just being really creative and sort of leveraging its phenomenon status and its strength in the ratings to kind of just take chances on some really crazy storytelling um, and, and, and perhaps even fail, failing. So yeah, like it could survive the blow of a bad William Gibson written episode or a, or a, a mediocre Stephen King script because, um, but it actually spoke to a strength and a charm and an awesomeness of that show that they could take those kind of creative chances, all of which was set up by my, like uh, the precedent that was sort of set for that kind of experimentation obviously was uh, I think I would argue the Darren Morgan scripted episodes of the first, like uh, of seasons two and season three um, that 
included my favorite X-Files episode ever, Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Oh, Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that episode, I remember because I was, I want to say I was 10 or 11 when, 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 that, when that episode aired on television. And, you know, talking about the excitement about an episode that was going to be about aliens. In the preview for that episode, it was like, there's aliens. And I was like, boy, again, I kind of went in like, boy, oh boy, this is when we finally find out who Cancer Man is. Like, And to go in with that expectation and first of all, be like, oh, wait, this is kind of different because it begins with an alien abduction. And then suddenly we're kind of flashing forward to Jose Chung writing about the case. I mean, you know, I was young. I had never seen Rashomon. I didn't, I, I don't think I understood the concept that something could be scary and funny all at the same time. Yeah. That episode rewired my brain in so many directions. And I remember it all, you know, it's funny because like, I remember, I, I watched it again recently. And what I remembered was an episode that was like aggressively meta. Um, but watching it again kind of found that it, it, it really wasn't. But that said, um, it's very playful about the X-Files and very playful with Mulder and Scully. And it feels like an episode that's very much about the X-Files as much as it also stands for like a quintessential X-Files episode because it plays with, you know, in the, in the first season of the show, you had the Monster of the Week shows. And before, the, before they became known as sort of mythology or conspiracy episodes, there was a different set of episodes that just largely dealt with UFO phenomenon mm-hmm. and this sort of like um, this 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 ongoing idea, but not necessarily a like aggressively serialized storyline. Definitely not serialized the way we use the word government cover up of 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 alien phenomenon for reasons that we really didn't understand. Jose Chung's From Outer Space kind of very much is a riff on those early X Files episodes that were just about. An, ad, uh, an abductee or a strange sighting and what that was really about. And, uh, but to have the device of, of, of this author writing this book about this peculiar case about these abducted teenagers or whether they were really abducted or not, or just sort of lying about some strange thing that happened to cover up the fact that they, they had sex in the woods one yes. night or something like that. Um, played by the wonderful Charles Nelson Riley in a very wonderfully comic performance and kind of like bringing out really great new shades and, 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 and Scully. It's a very Scully-centric episode. Mulder's in it, but 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 not as much as you think. That's really interesting. But the storytelling is just very kind of like, like, like non-linear and scattered. And it's got some great absurd moments, but some really creepy moments. And it offered like different ways to possibly read and interpret the mythology. Are we really dealing with aliens? Is it like a military kind of like... Like a like like secret military conspiracy that is using the smokescreen of aliens to hide what they're really doing, which is really interesting given the new series. <laughs> I mean, I know that we're kind of scattered here, but this episode is worth checking out because it actually foreshadows the new version of the mythology that we're dealing with in the new series. Um, but uh, it was just really wonderfully dense, really funny, um, and. Uh, 
Really great Mulder and Scully relationships. Very playful with television. The character that constantly sque- swears, but instead of like actually using the swear words, he uses the word bleep. Oh my god! There's, so funny. There's a part at the end. It's funny because it's a, it's such a simple running gag that yeah. I, I I think just I mean Darren Morgan the way he writes television I find so interesting and I mean you know he 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 is I think certainly an X Files lore he is this like, certainly maybe mad genius is the wrong word but 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 a little bit mad and and a lot of bit genius. I I think it's fair to say and the runner of the guy who keeps saying bleep there's a moment at the end of the episode when you know something kind of bad has happened and it's clear now that they will never solve the the, the mystery and the the actor just says in the most sort of like you know it's it, 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 it's as if he is he's the guy at the end of chinatown saying forget it jake it's chinatown he just says bleep and it's it is so but what i like too about that episode that you're can remind me of which is interesting in the context of the new Darren Morgan episode, which is going to come out later this week, is that it is both it, – it, it's meta if you want it to be, but more than anything, he seems to have the ability to make something that's really wacky and where – you know, th- there are moments in the retelling where Mulder seems very different than the Mulder that we know. But he also makes it a very emotional experience. Yes. I mean, each of the kind of characters who you meet along the way, as you know, as Charles Nelson Riley is sort of sitting and caning his way through all these people who were involved in it. They are all, you know, some of them are seem quite damaged by the experience, whatever the experience was. Um, you know, there's, there, there's the one guy who, um, oh God, he, you see from his perspective what happens when these two very comical Harryhausen-looking aliens meet and then one of them sort of talks to him and seems to actually, in hindsight, it may almost yeah. be kind of a riff on, on Scientology, but seems to be like telling him this whole religious mythology that that guy then creates into his yes. own new age. I mean, there's it's funny how a lot of this, it sounds so wacky in principle, but there is a humanity to it in right. a way that I think, I think really comes into play. And you're right that it's a riff on what the X-Files was doing so well. It's funny thinking about what episodes that got us into the X-Files. I still remember the first episode that I ever saw was Darkness Falls at the end of season one, mm. which is when Mulder and Scully, it's, it is a, you know, I'm not sure there's a more basic X-Files trope than Mulder and Scully go to a, a, a remote location and bad <laughs> things start happening. Yeah. Um, they go up into the woods. Great use of the Vancouver, you know, a, a area on in, in the early seasons of the X-Files. They go up into the woods. Uh, a, a, a bunch of loggers have been killed, and you find out it's because there's some prehistoric, hilariously animated green evil insects that were lingering inside of these very old trees. Very, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, Chris Carter doing his like you know, environmentalist thing. But it's just a great kind of, you know, people locked up in a remote cabin house. Uh, Jason Beggy, uh, who would later be on Chicago PD, and Titus Welliver, a, a, oh, a, a, wow. a young Titus Welliver. But it's that is the kind of episode that is just X-Files, you know, throwing it right down the middle, hitting a, hitting a good solid ground rule double. And it's funny that, yeah, that really laid the groundwork for the Darren Morgan style yeah. shows. Yeah. Do you think, I was thinking about this watching Mulder and Scully meet the were creature or the were monster, the, the third episode of this new season. Morgan seems to really like and be interested in Scully in a way that I'm not sure all the other writers were. Because in, in Jose Chung's From Outer Space, you're totally right. That's a very, that's a great Scully episode. Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose is a great Scully episode, too. I I, I wonder if he shared some of her, like, if his skepticism about certain things about the X-Files as a show kind of manifested in the character of Scully. That's a theory that, that I, I just came up with in the last two seconds. So <laughs> maybe maybe don't dig too, too deeply into that. Right, right. 
No, I mean, he, he, he definitely has one of the things that elevates all of his writing and all of his X-Files episodes. And by the way, there actually weren't a lot of them. You know, it's just like this small handful of, 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 of these gems. Um, Did this really bittersweet tone, this sort of like wise, like uh, wise, slightly cynical kind of like regard for humanity, but, uh, but a deep care for, 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 for Scully and, and Mulder too. He was a great writer of, of, of Mulder too. And in this new season, in this new episode that he's written for this, for the revival, um, I would actually say it's a it's a very Mulder episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in terms of especially what it accomplishes in the larger, like I like how we're sort of like keep on teasing the revival. We have to, we <laughs> yeah, really we'll go we'll go we'll go full spoiler a little bit later on. But right. yes, you're right. It is it is it is an episode about Mulder very much in so. a really interesting and way in, in terms of like bringing him along in terms of whatever the master vision is for, for, for Mulder's character arc in this new revival. It's, it's an essential episode for him. Um, one guy that we haven't talked about yet that uh, I want to get into before we talk new X-Files is, of course, Vince Gilligan. I think it's fair to say, of all of the people who wrote for the X-Files, a real murderer's row. I mean, like, not to even mention uh, Howard Gordon, who got right. his start on, on X-Files, who now has done, you know, uh, 24 and Homeland and probably five shows that I'm forgetting about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, fair to say Vince Gilligan now looms really large in the history of X-Files because he, of course, went on to create uh, one of the great TV shows, the 2000s. I'm talking about the Lone Gunman, of course. Um, no, I, um, uh, you know, And I think also Breaking Bad, I think a lot of people who love TV and TV history often tease out from Vince Gilligan episodes what certain embryonic stylistic or structural things that would really inform Breaking Bad in a lot of cool ways. Do you, did you have a favorite Vince Gilligan episode of, of X-Files or, or one that you often point to as being uh, memorable? Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I have to say that I, I used to have a bad attitude about the Vince Gilligan scripted episodes of the X-Files. Interesting. About halfway through the X-Files, as much as we were raving about early seasons and those experimental middle years of the X-Files, I, I, my relationship with the X-Files did begin to cool as I really began to warm up and, and, and wrap my mind up around the reality that the mythology conspiracy storyline is, is probably going to let me down. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and, and so I, I started becoming a little frustrated with the show. I was also really missing Darren Morgan um, yeah. because he, I think he left after the third season. I, he went over to millennium, I believe to help out there. And then he kind of went and did other things. And I kind of, his, his process is kind of famous from what I regard. I mean, well, I mean, I, mean I, I believe now, now remind me because I, I'm going to get this wrong, but his process is you have to sacrifice a dead goat and lower it down into a deep cave. Mm-hmm. And then you, you dance around the cave five times under the blood moon, and then a TV script sort of gets gets like like levitates up to you. That's that's the Darren Morgan methodology for writing. If right? What you're describing, <laughs> if, if what you're getting at is that the legend is, is that it takes him a long time. It's a very labored process to get a really uh, a script out of him. Yes, I, that is that is the legend of Darren Morgan scripted episodes. Um, he left the show. I was really missing that tone and that voice. There were other writers that, that, that not, not that, you know, X-Files was still kind of very engaging and can do, do some really experimental things. But along comes Vince Gilligan, who had been on the show and really kind of steps into the void of the playful, funny episodes of the X-Files. So he starts playing that role. 
And to be honest with you, I kind of like looked at them initially at the time as like, Darren Morgan Light. Oh, interesting. You know? So I'm seeing. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing. By the way, Jeff, I'm seeing you. It's like the mid to late '90s. You're wearing a torn Stussy T-shirt and a headband. You're 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 a Darren Morgan X Files hipster, and you're like, uh uh uh. Yes. Like Vince, Vince Gilligan is is pop punk, and Darren Morgan is punk. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Except that I, I don't think I've ever worn anything as hip as that. Or square. Um, but yeah. Um, the the title of the episode is completely escaping me, but uh, is it about vampires? The vampire one, the bad one that, blood, bad blood that tells the story of a, of, of, of a vampire monster of the week story. Um, from you know, half of the episode is devoted to Mulder's point of view, the other half from Scully's point of view, and um, it's in retrospect, uh, it, it has become one of my favorite X Files episodes ever. Really well done. Really funny, but I remember in the moment watching it, not liking it. That's I was, so interesting. I was sitting there going like, "Oh, this is like this is so, who is this Vince Gilligan guy trying to do the Darren Morgan shtick? Forget it, <laughs> you know? Like uh, that, that's no Jose Chung's from outer space. That's literally the attitude I had about that episode. It's a wonderful episode of the X Files. I was going to say, I, I just so, just you can see that I'm not lying. I have down over here the episodes I want to talk about, and you can clearly see Bad Blood is the second episode yeah. that I, I that is the one that I I always think about that. And it is funny that you're very right that it is so in the lineage of Jose Chung's that it may be hard to separate it. That's the episode that I always point to as like, if you want to see X-Files at its most purely comedic. I mean, Jose Chung's, I think, gets at so many things that that we just talked about and is, you know, both the perfect X-Files episode and the perfect commentary on the X-Files episode and also maybe more humane than the average X-Files episode. Bad Blood is just such a blast. And I think that it, it reminds me that... You know, it's so easy to overlook. Having Julian Anderson and David Duchovny on this show was so important because that's yeah. one of those episodes where it's kind of like I compare it to how on Community you'd always have like part of the fun of that show is that the actors were all able to play multiple versions of themselves. And, you know, like, you know, um, Gillian Jacobs especially could play other people's images of, of, of what Britta was and, and fantasy images so well. And in Bad Blood, I just love seeing Duchovny play – uh, Scully's asshole vision of Mulder, and and seeing 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 is seeing in turn in, in Mulder's memory, he's a sort of like lovable sad sack, and Scully's just so dismissive. Yeah. Of him. <laughs> I love how like Scully, like when, when Scully, uh, uh, from Scully's point of view, Mulder is just like this fast talking kind of, um, but but uh, <laughs> fast talking like geek nerd, um, but from. Uh, from Mulder's point of view, he's just like this perfectly reasonable. Like, he's, he's 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 so reasonable, and Scully is so. I mean, her it, it takes her skepticism and just makes it makes you understand how frustrating it would be for Mulder, like you know, to, to you know, to constantly be dealing with someone who, like, after literally being abducted herself, is still refusing to believe this. And in turn, that episode makes you realize how frustrating it must be for Scully. You know, she comes into the office, and Mulder is just like, "Well, I think uh, you know, there's been a lot of evidence of uh, you know, space aliens." In, in this corner of, of the country, it, it is it is quite entertaining. Yeah. Also, a great role for young Luke Wilson in a Bad Blood yes, as he well. Was really good. Um, before we move on, Jeff, are there any other classic X Files episodes you want to call out? Um, uh, yeah, a couple more. I mean, I think that when I was watching Home in the moment, I knew that this was a classic episode of the X Files. It's not always readily apparent when you're watching it. Clearly, 
like my relationship to bad blood kind of proves that I don't always know a great episode of X-Files when it hits me in the face. But Home, definitely. And it was just so outrageous. Um, but um, also so finely honed thematically um, that it was, you know, this is, of course, the legendary classic episode about the, in, the inbred peacock family. Um, yeah, and with that, that kept mom underneath the bed. The image of Mama Peacock on I, it's funny. So I, I was trying to to recall for this episode because I mean that was something that was so much grosser and crazier and more disturbing. I, I had never seen anything like that in, in movies because my parents generally didn't allow me to see R-rated movies, certainly never on television, certainly never on broadcast television. I have no idea how I got away with watching this show, actually. Yeah. I think it's because, honestly, I think my mom really liked Mulder and Scully. Because <laughs> she, she, also, she also watched the show the whole time. And I, I, I think she fundamentally was like, you know what, Like these are two good characters. Uh, you know, occasionally there's horrifying triple amputee 90 year old incest grandmas under the bed that'll be fine i'm sure we'll we'll, we'll explain this to him when he's older yeah, it, 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 you know we remember that 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 episode as being kind of like very scary very suspenseful and and, and it is um, it's, it's very funny too um and we remember it as being gross but it's interesting that how much of that grossness and queasiness is established via suggestion and and, and set up early on with that very evocative uh, opening sequence in which I believe they kind of give birth to a new member of the family, but the baby, like, I believe dies and right after childbirth and they have to go bury it out in the field. And it's all done in silhouettes and it's set against you – know, during a dark and stormy night and there's lightning flashing and um, just another episode of, of, of law and order folks, just, <laughs> right. just another episode of, 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 of ABC's the practice. But the sounds <laughs> and the images that are in this sort of like very, that this scene is very evocative of something really disturbing and it suffuses the entire episode and has that great moment when that, when that, that, that dead baby is found by the, by the kids that are playing baseball in the field and like uh, the, the, the kid takes the bat and pounds the home base and blood starts seeping yes. up from underneath. Oh my God. And you know where that blood is coming from and it's just like, oh, it's so gross. But, you know, it's it, it, that just like ickiness just seeps into the whole episode and really does a, a lot of the work of uh, and, and, and has creates the image in our mind of, a, of an episode that is. Uh, very disturbing when it was probably not as disturbing as, as we did. That, that that episode, and we went out too, uh, we were emailing a little bit um, about the new season, and, and you called out something that is it's easy to forget, because again, I feel like we tend so often now to praise the fact that there were so many great writers on this show. Home was directed by Kim Manners, who was one of the X-Files' lead episode directors, and I, I just think the visual storytelling of the X-Files was so incredible. And in an episode like that, which depends so much on what you're talking about, on you know, classic cinematic uh, notions of suggestion and of, you know, imagery that, you know, like like them finding the kid that way, it is such an image because it's literally underneath home plate. And it's just the, the, the great kind of visual nature of, 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 of a lot of that is easy to overlook, uh, I, I think. And great, and great directors, 
Rob Bowman, who directed a lot of the essential episodes of the X-Files, too. And did the I, movie, which I, I recall enjoying the movie quite a bit, I actually. I did, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Very, I mean, very atmospheric. I mean, like, the, 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 the visual effects that you can create by simply turning off the lights and giving a pair of, uh, two people a pair of high-powered flashlights... <laughs> <laughs> it's just really was that, great. Was that like was that like 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 a new effect in, in the early nineties? Because it really seems like like the, I mean I, the X Files got so much mileage out of out of that just yeah. out of out of images of Mulder and Scully going through a dark room like flashing lights all all, all, all over the place. Whenever I have to go buy a flashlight for the family, I'm like, uh, well, like I gotta get me one of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I want to call out too just my another kind of favorite I realize God I'm calling out so many sort of weird structure episodes probably because I'm a weirdly structured guy but um, Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man yep. which is one of the I believe that that's one of the hallmark episodes of, of the Wong Morgan collaboration uh, one of them wrote it one of them directed it or possibly they co-wrote it uh, but that is essentially a a flashback episode through the through what might be the life of Cancer Man. Right. I always called him Cancer Man. What did, what did you call him back in the day? Both CSM Cancer Cancer Man and Cigarette Smoking Man for sure. I yeah, mean that that because I mean that certainly is an episode that I mean it 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 goes full paranoia and full kind of you know boomer paranoia because like, yes. in the episode he kills both. JFK and Martin Luther King yes. and I mean you know the, the actor who plays young cancer man who would later return as Jeffrey Spender is so good I mean that's that's a really just fun episode that is like Jose Chung's is both super dense with mythology and also maybe has nothing to do with the mythology yes <laughs> and we'll talk I mean this might be a, one of these the, talking about this episode might segue us into talking about the revival I, I watched cigarettes, uh, uh, musings of a cigarette smoking man uh, recently, and the, <laughs> the thought that I had was I, I, I admired its audacity, I admired its structure, I admired the whole like is is this is this a story or is this for real? But the thought that I really had was could 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 that episode, which is what I, I recall being widely like like beloved and highly regarded by X-Files fans back in the day. Could they get away with that episode in, in, in today's world where we're just extremely sensitive about everything? I mean, this is an episode, again, as you said, that puts forth the notion that this, you know, cigarette smoking man, this this agent of an alien conspiracy, was responsible for killing Martin Luther King and JFK. <laughs> that just struck me as this like just a, a, a rather like sacrilegious and um, and almost offensive idea. That's now, really interesting. Like I just imagine people live tweeting that episode uh, if, if Twitter existed and kind of like, going, I don't know, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. I mean, can you imagine that? I well, so here, I it's hard to imagine. Okay, let's maybe this is a good segue to start talking at least about the the, the new miniseries series premiere reboot revival, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the first episode of which is called My Struggle, written and directed by Chris Carter. Um, because this episode, n- no spoilers for now, uh, it dives deep into what our colleague, like James Hibbert, kind of referred to as, like, you know, kind of 9 11 false flag hysteria. Yeah. In a way that's interesting to compare to what you're talking about, because 
watching how deeply this episode, well, you know, how much, how, how much it talks about that stuff, I was initially kind of like, whoa, like, this is a little, like, you know, th- there is that sort of, that th- th- weird, like, too soon or too big or too crazy aspect to it. But you're right, that is in no way different from an episode of television where one person, one of the main running characters on the show, kills two of the most important people of, of the 20th century. Right. Are, we, are, are we more sensitive now, you think? Or, or, or was X-Files able to get away with it then for, 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 for some reason? Well, I mean, so we're, we're, we're now segueing into talking about this. And since this podcast is dropping the day after um, oh, yeah, let's struggle, just, yeah, we can spoil away. openly about the, the new mythology and the new conspiracy mythology that, that, that this new X-Files kind of um, uh, draws upon. Um, and as a way to talk about that, my relationship to the conspiracy theory ideas of the original series, um, you know, that, that, that show really kind of like was a product of, a, of its time. And that time was this sort of, uh, you know, the baby boomers were essentially in control of pop culture. We were coming out of the 80s in which we have the big chill and we have the films of Oliver Stone and we have these children of the 60s who are still getting over the 60s playing out their their issues and dramas and their angers uh, uh, over sort of this, this feeling of the, betra- the betra- betrayed promise and betrayed, you know, uh, you know, cultural revolutions and social revolutions of, of, of the sixties. Right. And all of this kind of plays into Chris Carter's vision. He was very much a, a child of that. He was very much a child of Watergate. Um, and he, he talks openly about how Mark Watergate really marked him as a kid and as a young man. And this idea that your government actually lies to you and, 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 and betrayed us. And he talked about how he's talked about how all the president's men was a huge influence on, uh, on the X-Files. And so as he's sort of like putting together this, this sci-fi allegory for a, a culture betrayed by its government, deceived by its government, holding back progress at the whims, serving the whims of what the military industrial complex and, uh, you know, greedy, evil white people. Um, yeah. I mean, he kind of like, just brings in all of this American history and all of these conspiracies and all of these sort of very much these, these baby boomer concerns that are our concerns too. But being sort of like a a Gen Xer that was born in 1970 and just really became culturally conscious with star Wars, that, that all belonged to someone else's trauma. You right. know, someone else's drama. You were experiencing this like as someone who didn't you didn't relate to that on a on a deep personal level. Right. I yeah. I mean, I was definitely I'm obviously growing up in the 70s, growing up in this country, you're profoundly marked by the society and the culture that was that that, that came out of the 60s. Um, I'm just envisioning young, young Jeff Jensen in the Jensen household. Watergate's happening. I'm just seeing like, like, like your parents are like, you know, sitting you down. Like, all right now, Jeff. Like, let's 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 walk through the entire Watergate scandal. Right, right, now. Right. You're all of like three and a half or four years old. Well, what, what I'm getting at is that when I'm watching like musings of a cigarette smoking man, and I'm seeing the X Files like deal with the assassination of Martin Luther King, and I see it dealing with the assassination of JFK, having not experienced that directly, you know, at the time, 
that that all seemed fair game to me. Like it was okay for them to kind of play with that history because it, it, it didn't wound me right. directly. I wasn't alive during that time. Now cut to this new version of the X Files, and the, in the new mythology, you know that's kind of uh, put forth uh, in, uh, by the Joel McHale character. This sort of like internet conservative, but a weird kind of like murky. The politics of this new ship, this series are just kind of all over the place. Yes. But, you know, with, with Joel McHale's character and with David, uh, with Mulder kind of putting forth this new mythology and drawing upon like more contemporary um, uh, scandals and controversies and conspiracy theories from, you know, 9-11 as a false flag like operation and truther theory and Edward Snowden and all of our recent travails and traumas that people have theorized and conspiracy theorized about and having been lived through that and having like felt that and been kind of like culturally wounded by that, seeing the show play with it as glibly and ridiculously as it does. Yeah. It kind of pushed my buttons in a way that like, um, like it, it made me wonder did, did, did people that were older than me that lived through JFK, that lived through MLK, that like, did, did they experience musings of a cigarette smoking man like this? Like, were, were yes. they like, Ooh, this is a little dicey for me. Uh, I didn't experience it back then. I just kind of experienced it as, wow, this is wickedly irreverent. And, irreverent. No, but, you're, but, but you're right here. You're right. Well, and, and at that time had, let's say for argument's sake, my parents said, Oh, like musings of a certain man, like that's a bad episode because you know, they were, they were doing like bad things there. They were, they were treating topics that should be treated with, you know, a loftier sensibility. Like that's bad. I, as a young person would have said, shut up mom and dad. Like I, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't have said that. I was, a, I was a very respectful child, but I, I would have been, and like that is a lame perspective, and I wonder. So part of my part of my worry is: have I now become the, the lame older person? Where sure. I'm like, ah, like uh, you know, a, 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 a silly genre show shouldn't deal with this stuff. In fairness, though, my struggle is a crazy episode of television. That's true. <laughs> Like it is, it is. I mean, like you know, you're kind of like describing it. Uh, you know, if there were a, a narrative arc to that episode of television, I, I might feel which there is to musings of a cigarette smoking man. I mean, like as weird as it is to say, that is a sort of portrait of a person who happens to be living through all that stuff. My struggle has two or three sequences that are just montages of like ranting paranoia, which are you know. On one hand, just interesting because I've never seen anything like that outside of an Oliver Stone movie. On the other hand, it's not particularly fun to watch on a on a narrative level. I think it's I think it's fair to say. Right, right. And I think that like another reason why I was more accepting, perhaps, of that kind of conspiracy theory, um, blah blah blah, back in the day was. I think I was largely sympathetic to the, what I kind of perceived as the politics of the show back then, which is, um, yeah, like it, 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 the old X-Files seemed to be on the side of, of, uh, of, of political thought that I supported, sure. you know, um, which is like military bad, you know, like, uh, like conservative military <laughs> industrial complex, bad, you know, progressivism and, uh, and, and looking out for the outsider and, and, and the alienated and the marginalized, good, you know. Um, the politics of this new, <laughs> new, new series, like, you know, that I kind of admire it uh, for, for, for remaining so on point in terms of 
uh, our government is still worthy of our distrust. Yes. Well, if, know, if, if anything, um, a point that is unfortunately made explicitly when Mulder says it out loud, but still a good point to make, is however much the X-Files spoke to concerns in the 1990s about governmental paranoia and our, our, our general national fears. I mean, there are many, many more reasons to be paranoid now because right. we literally know that people are watching our... I mean, you know, you, you could say they're watching your every move back then. Now I think people feel that on a vivid level, which I, is really interesting. And it's funny, I, I have to admit that uh, I only agree with that conceptually, you know, um, I understand that a lot of people talk about that and a lot of people are concerned about that, that, that are, are, you know, we are under surveillance, that it's only getting worse and, um, uh, and, and all of that. I, I understand that. I understand the issues. I understand that people complain about but that. I, I just don't necessarily like walk around worrying about that <laughs> or feel paranoid about that. Um, and, and uh, so, yeah, um, we're, we're talking a lot about... Uh, we're, we're talking that. about abstract ideas with, with this first episode because this first episode, to me, only exists on that level. And it's funny that, you know, even to watch this episode, it reminds me of, I, I think it was John Stewart a few years ago who made the point that, like, Tea Party activists are weirdly just, like, hippies. Like, like their, their points are the same, but just the context around them has changed, so what used to seem very liberal now seems very conservative. I, I got a bit of that from this episode also, where, like, somehow this governmental paranoia, which, again, this is not saying that I support, like, either side per se, but that was coded in the 90s as a sort of liberal idea. Now it seems coded as, you know, Joel McHale is clearly meant to be a kind of, more so a a Glenn Beckian analog than, yes. a, than a Keith Olbermann analog. Although, to, to your point, digging too deeply into what his politics are is difficult because very, very quickly in the episode, and the episode, I mean, part of my frustration with my struggle is just, I think that its structure is very confused. It seems unsure about, you know, are we relaunching the show? Are we launching a new serialized version of the show? You know, do we need to... Do we need to speak to longtime fans or do we need to reintroduce this to new people? To such an extent that at one point in the episode, um, the newest kind of deep throat uh, a person, you know, Mulder's latest person inside the government who has inside information about the conspiracy, um, he actually makes reference to how essentially the last few seasons of the X-Files mythology may have been a complete hoax or complete nonsense. Like right. he, he mentions almost as an aside, like, you know, dueling alien groups, killing each other, which was a key fact of the yes. last few. So it, it's a reference that simultaneously needs you as a viewer to remember that and also just says, but also forget all about that because that doesn't matter anymore. Because I think, do you think, Jeff, if I follow it correctly, this episode essentially answered the question of what the conspiracy is once and for all. Like, is that like, did you walk away feeling that? Or did you think that it was like, I don't think there's any more mysteries left per right. se, which is actually kind of interesting. Before I, before I answer that question, let's just kind of like state plainly, like, did we like this new episode? This, 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 did we like my struggle? I only liked it. I, 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 short answer, no. Uh, long answer, I only liked it for 
what I perceive to be the, 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 the sort of vitriolic insanity of making a completely non-dramatic episode of television that is just sort of plucking every possible trending topic of governmental paranoia from the last 15 years and making Duchovny say it. But, not, but I, I did not enjoy it. Keyword <laughs> I'm latching on there is non-dramatic. Because, yeah, I was uh, – I was. you wrote a really great review of the first three episodes and my only disagreement with you is that I think I would give every single one of those episodes like a half grade lower than you right. did. And I gave my struggle a C minus. So right. so you're you're giving it like D or, or, or D, D plus. I'd probably give it a C minus too. Yeah, maybe that, that one we're in agreement with. In yes. your first email to me, you gave it a D plus. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah, I mean – it, it was it was definitely not what I wanted, especially – I watched it twice. The first time I watched it, it was just a, a major disappointment. The second time I, I – second time I watched it, it was after having seen the next two episodes. And I appreciated my struggle a lot more because what I really realized about this episode is – that it is so beholden to servicing so many different things that it barely functions as an episode of the X-Files. Yes. And that's what I really wanted was I wanted the show to come out of the gate strong with a potent reminder of what the X-Files did and what it could be and, uh, and, and, and to entertain like an episode of the X-Files. But it was so burdened with, um, you know, okay, this is where Mulder and Scully are at now. And then sort of speaking to old fans and introducing them to new fans and establishing their relationship and um, reintroducing and then rebooting and streamlining the mythology and trying to be resonant to our political and cultural moment via the Joel McHale character, which I love Joel McHale, but that character is just ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Um, and, 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 and that's an example of where I, I, it frustrated me as someone who loved the X-Files so much. And I, I, I still love the X-Files. I'll always love the X-Files. Um, the, that it's, it's depiction of like Joel McHale as an ideologue. No element of that works. Like the, the fact that they all use the internet in such a strange way that just felt so in the era of Black Mirror. It just felt so like someone who doesn't really get what the modern age is trying to pretend that and I'm not saying this is Chris Carter. Anyway, I'm just saying the whole feel of the show was of them being like, uh, like he's on Fox news kind of, and he's on the internet kind of, and he thinks it, it just, it, that character really starts from very far behind being a good character. What Joe McHale is just doing his best with that character. I, 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 I think it's, it's, it's fair to say. Yeah. And, and, and because it had to accomplish all of these things, it had a, a level of scripting and dialogue that was just so on the nose, spell out things. I mean, even, you know, from like, you know, the the first scene with Mulder and Scully together and Scully's like, it's always good to see you, Mulder. And it's always good to give a, to have a reason to see you, Scully, or all this kind of thing. And then, you know, I, you know, I, you know, the whole thing is about the truth is out there and saying those lines kind of plainly, or I, I only want to believe, or yeah. uh, just, uh, just the, to, to establish these characters with these sort of like bald, clunky statements of, of, uh, it was, it, it was, reminded it was, me, it was, it's, it's funny you talking about, uh, it Mulder. Was, uh, I mean, just to finish off my thought, it was, 
I think what it really suffers from is just rust. Yes. I mean, among many things. But we're, we're witnessing in action like a writer and director in Chris Carter and actors in Duchovny and Anderson shaking off rust and slipping back into characters and tones and stories that they haven't kind of played in a long time. And they're, 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 they're playing that out in front of us in this story. And it feels like a combination of both pilot reunion special and reboot all at once. And it just all kind of clangs against each other. And did you think, you know, it's funny. I realize now that is almost a genre of, of storytelling unto itself now. I found it interesting thinking about Mulder and Scully in this episode where so much of them together in this episode is them openly talking about each other and their relationship in a way that, you know, is so, is both unconvincing in a lot of ways, but also all I want to do is see them interact. I don't want to see them talk about their interaction. I don't want to see them, you know, express very explicit you know, um, ideas about their history and all that. And you reminded me a little bit of, you know, we just recently had a more successful in in, in every way, uh, reboot pilot revival reunion, uh, Star Wars episode seven, which, you know, and this is not going to become about Star Wars, but the Han Solo and Princess Leia stuff in that movie was a lot of them in a way, not dissimilar to Mulder and Scully in this episode, talking about their relationship and talking about their past in a way, that I found unconvincing only because to me those characters like Mulder and Scully are about like the banter and, and about like them being together on an adventure and it's it's strange that in both cases I, I was so struck by you know all I want to do is see these people doing what they do best and it's funny because um, to shift the, to, to shift forward a little bit uh, we've seen the next two episodes there's one episode airing tonight called Founders Mutation which is written and directed by Glenn Wong James Wong yeah, oh, sorry, sorry James Wong Glenn Glenn Morgan and and James Wong, who I have fused together into one single unified person, is yeah. is Morgan? Is he involved in in the Glenn Morgan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, he's he's he ultimately became like the one of the with Carter, one of the executive producers of the whole revival. But Glenn's episode, Glenn also wrote and directed an episode. I believe that is. Well, it's, it'll be episode either five or right. four or five. That's coming up. Uh, we've also seen the Darren Morgan written and directed episode, which is airing this Sunday. Um, what strikes me looking at episodes two and three is, you know, and again, I'm not saying anything that could have worked would have worked for me. Just that the first episode didn't work, at least in part, because the whole idea of the first episode is at the start, they're not in the X-Files anymore. By the end, they're back in the X-Files yes. in a way that makes no real sense to me. That's like right. The fact that these people who are, have not worked for the FBI for 15 years, who at one point were on the run from the FBI, lest we forget, are just suddenly brought back in is very strange. But episode two, they're just, they're back in the X-Files and they're, they're doing their thing. And I'm like, you know what? That's, that's all, that's all I needed. You know, that's all I I don't think we needed a whole hour of just sort of uh, Skinner calls them back into service. So that was kind of strange. What g- general thoughts about Founders Mutation and Mulder and Scully meet the were creature, I think is what the Darren Morgan episode is called. To be honest with you, Founders Mutation, while I, I get the critical view that, that a lot of other you know, critics are saying is that the Founders Mutation is better than my struggle. I was actually more disappointed by Founders Mutation than my struggle because 
I understand why my struggle is a clunky piece of work. All the reasons you just stated. There, right. are, there, are, there are 15 different marks it has to hit like all as, at once. As much as it's a, it's, it's a flawed piece of work, it's easily analyze, analyzable. <laughs> <laughs> what, like, New word. Right, like, you understand why. Yes. You, know, you can identify all the reasons why it really doesn't work. Founder's Mutation is frustrating because, to be honest, it's just a bad episode of The X-Files. So it gives you what we're asking for, right? It's just, just give me Mulder and Scully investigating and and weird And weird pregnancy stuff, which I think is its own subgenre of of X-Files episodes. (laughs) You kind of get into, uh, you know, the the mystery and drama and emotional drama of Mulder and Scully's relationship to their son um, and, and all of that. But again, this is another sort of like thematically overstuffed episode um, hindered by crazy plotting. And I, 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 I kind of don't really understand it at all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and and, it, and it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the attempt. Well, and it, it, it doesn't work in the, the attempt to connect it to whatever the grander story arc of this miniseries is doesn't quite work. The, the, it doesn't really work on its own merits as a story. It's, it's very strange. Here's one thing I will say in defense of Founders Mutation is the, there is a, a sequence involving Mulder and the movie 2001. Yeah, oh, that yes. It, uh-huh. it, it, I mean, like, I sort of don't want to spoil it, even though it doesn't really necessarily have much to do with the narrative, but it is so... I was shocked by how emotionally I was moved yes. by the end of this otherwise not good episode of television. Yes. And and I, I wondered if, if that was, you know, that was a moment where it reminded me so strongly of who that character was in a yeah. way that I did not feel from the first episode. Like in, in the first episode, they are playing Mulder and Scully in quote marks, you know. And that was a moment where I felt as if, okay, I, I'm remembering now who these characters are and this and, – and also – that was the first time that I really felt like these are characters who are older than the last time we saw them. You know, like they, right. they haven't just been frozen in time since since uh, X-Files, I want to believe. The stuff that you're mentioning is like, yeah, the, the, the strongest stuff in the episode to tease it just a little bit more. They're flashbacks to a different time, a different place uh, when things were better and um, and deal with ultimately Mulder and Scully's relationship to their child. If the episode was actually like just doubled down on that and kind of pared away a lot of other things. If it were like a whole, if it were if it were a whole like 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 flash sideways or something, you're saying right, or a right. whole, uh, that, that they were investigating uh, slightly slightly less complex mystery that allowed for jumping off points into these sort of explorations of Mulder and Scully when they had a relationship with each other and they had some relationship with their child. Or, or maybe the kind of relationship they wanted with their child, um, I think, and, and their fears and anxieties about being parents and, and, and the fate of their child, um, I think it would have been a, a, a lot sharper. One thing I would say that this episode does improve upon, um, and it's a function of seeing Mulder and Scully back in their suits, back with their badges. No more rust, yeah. Like investigating, is that I think that a lot of people are talking about, you know, in terms of my struggle, this version of Mulder and Scully that we meet are, are not the Mulder and Scully that we really like and really, really enjoy Mulder in particular. I mean, as we find him in that first episode in my struggle, 
he's kind of broken, he's kind of bitter, he's um, he's 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 tired. Um, they're all, they're both noticeably older, Mulder more so, and the show really kind of plays to that in an, in an interesting way. Um, the more grizzled, and I would just say that these character ideas, like. On mold, it's just it's just a bad look for David Duchovny. Yes, because David Duchovny, in general as a performer, is kind of known for sort of like his sort of like his monotone, his laconic nature. Is that the right word? Yes. Like yeah, and so to kind of like be Mulder, kind of like this guy, that that deadpan kind of Mulder, now kind of like burdened with age and brokenness, deadpan Mulder kind of becomes deadbeat Mulder. Yes, and and. And I think that as a result, you hear a lot of critics talk about how he looks tired or not invested or bored with the whole thing. I I don't think so. Like, I I was on the set of that episode, and he seemed really invested. I just think it's a bad combination of actor, character, and character idea here, you know? Yeah. Well, and do you think, too, I I realized something watching these three episodes, that the whole of the X-Files works because of... The least believable, the least believable, but most important structural part of the show, which is that everything about Mulder, in the abstract, would be a crank living out in the middle of the wilderness, yeah. like sending like angry mail messages to the San Francisco Chronicle. You know, like everything about him is that he is. You know, he is the Unabomber who just doesn't send bombs unless maybe he does. But on the show, he is played by David Duchovny, a very handsome, very intelligent-looking man, and he works for the FBI. He is as insider as as, as you can get. And I, I, I'm, I'm so struck by the fact that that is what – when you make Mulder just you know who he, who, who he is and he's not in the FBI anymore, you lose that interesting contextual twist. He, he just becomes a crank in, in the woods, which, which is where we find him. And, and I'm, I'm so struck by the fact that – I mean Duchovny as a performer, he makes – those things that shouldn't work work so well, at least in part because he's so good with that deadpan. But it is it is so unbelievable the idea of someone like Boulder being in the FBI that it just you know that is the the kind of magic of the X Files. And when you take that away, you are just kind of like yeah, he's 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 a psycho. Yeah, he's, a, he's a psychotic hobo who like still hitchhikes in 2015. Psychotic hobo <laughs> who still hitchhikes. Yeah, yeah. It, it's weird because I think you're there. Um, I don't know if you feel this way and, you know, forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but like, are you kind of saying that there, that one of the charming things about Mulder is that there's always this kind of feeling that maybe he was miscast with Duchovny? Yes, totally. Yes, absolutely. He's a far more handsome and far more intelligent than you would assume this kind of character to be. Yes, yes, exactly right. There's, 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 and and it, it is a totally essential miscasting, I, I think. And maybe, it, maybe, maybe it is just partially that, like, you know, it, it's the classic story of, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, young nerdy comic book writers, you know, living it on on the in in Brooklyn, create Superman as their sort of vehicle for right. all these things. And I wonder if that is part of the magic of the Mulder character in a way. Is that kind of sense? Romantic notion of a very kind of like, uh, uh, kind of like uh, unseemly architect. Yes, yeah, exactly. And 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 just just and this is why you know uh, just to provide a few general thoughts about I've I've been saying it wrong. The next episode is Mulder and Scully meet the Were Monster, not. Yeah. 
not the where creature, um, which as you pointed out is so Mulder centric. I mean, I don't know how you felt, Jeff. I watched uh, episodes one, two, and three in pretty quick succession. To come to Mulder and Scully meet the Ware monster after uh, those first two episodes was such a breath of fresh air and a a you know um, in search of lost time, biting on a Madeline and remembering you know <laughs> my, my youth and watching Exiles back then. I, I loved Ware Monster. I, I I gave it I gave it an A, which again was partially maybe because just it's so it's such a breath of fresh air after the first two. The one thing I would say about that episode is is that. Um, I, I did like it a lot. Um, I think that it really doesn't enter magic time until about halfway through and the twist that we should not talk about. But when you get to the twist of the were monster and you see where Darren Morgan takes that and he starts tying together in, in the story of the were monster, a lot of the themes that he kind of very patiently and deliberately is set up through kind of like a very long setup, it it starts working rather marvelously. That, that there are some missteps in the episode. Um, um, I, I wasn't necessarily comfortable with the transgender hooker at the bus stop. That was interesting. Well, it's interesting because there is a conversation about like uh, about being transgender in the, in the episode that is interesting in a lot of ways, but but also the fact that the transgender character was not involved in that, and that it's it's compared to something else supernatural. It's it, it, it's strange, definitely. It, yeah, it, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a strange moment that doesn't quite work. I think it's fair to say. Right. That, 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 that she's a hooker. Right. Um, that um, is just. Uh, is just a characterization that's just kind of not really like a, a, on, on the moment here. That said, when you get to the twist and you get into the second half of the episode, you start understanding why that kind of character would be in the show because it's dealing with themes of transformation and transition and moving from one state to another, improving from one state to another or not. And, um, and that, that Darren Morgan would want to latch on to a bunch of cultural ideas that kind of like express um, the idea of transformation. It, it makes sense. Do you think too, I mean, I just had, I had such a strong feeling about this episode. Well, so, you know, you were talking earlier about how long it takes him to write things. I mean, like, I was wondering if this was, was this, was this an idea that he had had like back in the day that he just kind of kept around or did they approach him about the new X-Files and he kind of came up with this? I'd, I'd love to know what his approach was to this I, episode. because it, it seems... must be a really recent kind of concept because the other thing I, I think that it deals with in a really kind of like lovely fashion is that it, it, it starts to deal with Mulder and Scully pretty honestly and directly as middle-aged people. Yes. Um, yes. And, 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 and sort of like middle-aged like people concerns of a, of a failed life of a frustration with existence and where you're going to go from here. Um, it's 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 not a story about young people. This all this all factors into my theory, which I recently espoused on EW.com, that everything is becoming Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. Every <laughs> every franchise, if it lasts long enough, the actors will inevitably become middle aged, and it will it will yeah. have to become yeah. at some point. The, the the story can only be about getting older, and, and you're you're so right that that is that is both <laughs> the fact that Darren Morgan seems able to both make fun of Mulder having a midlife crisis 
crisis while taking his midlife crisis totally seriously is, is part of the magic of that episode. And keep your I eyes think. peeled in this episode. We talked about Kim Manners. There's a very lovely and kind of like, and lovely and also slightly hits you over the head over with, with it like homage and salute yes. to one of the great X-Files directors who passed away a few years ago. You, you do wish, I wished more than anything that Kim Manners was still around to film that homage to him because right. it would have been handled with a little bit more cinematic delicacy. I think it's a huge flaw with this revival. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, you see writers shaking off the rust of, uh, and, and, and uh, here in, in these three episodes, shaking off the rust, relearning how to write X-Files stories, but I think that a lot of their rust might have been, uh, you know, ameliorated or, or, or not as noticeable if they had some of their old directors, if they didn't really direct their own material. If, they, if only they could have gotten McLaren back for just one episode. She, strangely, she, I think, only really joined up with the X-Files, Michelle McLaren, in, in, in the latter couple of seasons. And it's sense, funny yeah. that, like, she she is certainly one of the TV directors from X-Files' original run that's gone on to have such a career. I, I, wonder, I wonder if at any point they considered reaching out to her. She's also pretty busy right now. Right. So. Um, before we kind of like wrap up here, let's let's kind of like just kind of like oh one, 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 well two things. One thing I would say about Darren's episode is, you know, we we've talked in our in our usually haphazard fashion about the difference between <laughs> welcome uh, back, welcome back, Jeff. Um, start talking about nine eleven and false flags and and, and uh, uh, Henrietta Lacks. Uh, yes, can we, right. Can we bring in Henrietta Lacks somehow? <laughs> Talk about rustiness. <laughs> I think that we, too, are, are, are rusty. We are my struggle. Fortunately, Darren Morgan is writing episode three of, of the new season of, right. of Entertainment Geekly, so um, look forward to that. But the, one of the things about Mulder and Scully Meet the Wear Monster is that it is like a, uh, you know, it is this homage to, it, it is a Monster Over the Week episode, but also it's, a, it's an episode about what... Months, what what the monster of the week episodes were always about, you know, mm-hmm. which some of them were just straight up like thriller, scary things. A lot of them were about um, just sort of like these allegories and metaphors for outsiders in the culture, or sort of real kind of like personal spiritual concerns. Um, and so it's 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 really uh, lovely that way. It's almost as if Darren. It's an episode in which Darren Morgan is saying. Yeah, the Monster of the Week episodes were the best, weren't they? You know? <laughs> um, well, that said, I want to speak one, uh, uh, about the new alien conspiracy mythology of, of the show and how fascinated I was by it. Not, not throw out all, all the politics stuff, you know. Right. Um, let's just kind of like deal with, you know, just the plot of the stuff, which is, which is the, the it's, 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 it's how it deals with the aliens. And... I was fascinated by what essentially amounts to a, a, like a huge reboot of, of, of this mythology because yeah, like this whole notion, which I believe that the, that the, that my struggle was establishing is, is that the war between the aliens, maybe a lot of these encounters with the aliens that you remember from classic episodes of the X-Files, including a lot of the latter half of the uh, of the series. Adam Baldwin. Yeah, Adam Baldwin. That was just an elaborate smokescreen operation, a, a giant piece of theater staged to misdirect people about what's really going on, which, which I think uh, that what the episode was trying to suggest is that 
we've only maybe been visited maybe a couple times by aliens Mm -hmm. and that the government has been using the technology, the spaceships and the genetic material, these aliens to um, create like machines and weapons and, and, and genetically engineered whatever um, as part of some long term plan to take over the planet. Yes. And which is funny because this is not a new idea um, uh, at, at all in science fiction. I mean, we, we people have been playing with this notion of, and it's pretty kind of like like bread and butter alien conspiracy theory, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was struck by the absolute paring away of everything convoluted about the mythology of the X Files and just organizing it around this simple idea and basically saying that the enemy is the elites and the government, mm-hmm. um, and we're all victims of it. I was kind of, as I was wrapping my head around what they were doing as a longtime X-Files fan, I was a little bit like insulted initially. Just like all that work I went into trying to figure out your mythology. You're telling me it's all bullshit. <laughs> what about, um, what about the clones, the clones of, of Mulder's sister? What about the clones of Mulder's sister? Yeah, like, um, <laughs> Uh, the clones with like when you killed them the the face would melt. What about what about the face melter? All the things I cared about so much. All the things I devoted so much thought life to. It, it was all a sham. It was all, and then the more I sat with the idea, the more I kind of really loved it. To be honest with you, I mean, um, uh, it's you know it's it's it, it's very it's very useful to this new revival. Um, yeah, it completely like throws into question. It doesn't really make any sense, to be honest with you, given the history of what we've seen. But at the same time, I can say I can I can conceptually understand the, the original series X Files was one thing. The revival is another. This is the mythology they decided to play with. This is the this is the perspective on the UFOs. This is how we're going to pursue this idea. And I, I can hold those two things in tension. And I actually kind of like this ultimately after grieving the loss of, you know, the wasted time of, of, of super my, soldiers. Of my what about the super soldiers? Yes. Yes. Um, but I actually kind of like the simplification. Well, I, I like it too. And do you think too, as much as, as much as it is a simplification, it is also, I mean, whenever you saw the conspiracy or the syndicate was also a thing that we used to describe them back yeah. in the day. Was, wasn't that another, like, I mean, I, I'm thinking of particularly those episodes where you would just see all the old white men in the room and there was cancer man and there was the well manicured man. And there were a few other insert physical definition, you know, physical description here, man, uh, people in there. I mean, the, the notion that, Evil, rich, vaguely governmenty people are the ultimate nemesis, and they're trying to take over the world. That is sort of something that we always kind of thought. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, you know, right. it, it, it makes me realize that everything else was sort of this elaborate dressing up of that. And so I, I do like, I like that. I want to see though, because it, the thing that I found most potent in that first episode, which again is 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 such a kind of mess of drama, and it only really works. It, it maybe only works as an analyzable episode, uh, but the idea that 
they were even using Mulder's investigations into the X-Files as essentially like, like they were using that as a smokescreen. That's right. And, and, and I, you know, it, it reminds me of the most interesting idea and also the worst scene in the Matrix trilogy when at the end of Matrix Reloaded, uh, you know, um, uh, old uh, Colonel, uh, uh, you know. The architect. Yes, the, the architect who looks exactly like, like the KFC Colonel explains how the matrix itself uses rebellion as a part of its system, which right. is, is a, a real upper level philosophical idea that I, I'm sure Kierkegaard or someone talked about at some point, but the idea that even by rebelling, you are maintaining the system is something that I've always found so interesting. That we tolerate and then absorb revolution. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and that, I wonder if that is something that is playing out a little bit in this season of the X-Files, not in a coherent way so far, but I was, I was so taken by that. And, but the problem of course is, you know, you, you can't float that idea and then have the solution be restart the X-Files. You, you know, that, that's, that's right. That, that's yeah. strange to me. And I, I, I wonder, it's a potent idea that I, I, I am hopeful it plays out in an interesting way. Um, but we'll, we'll talk more about the X-Files. Uh, we only have a few more episodes, you know, we'll, we, we essentially have, ha- have a month until this revival concludes, uh, at which point, of course, we'll begin the process of anxiously awaiting the, the next revival. Um, but I guess to, to quickly finish it off, Jeff, you know, we a lot on this show have had the opportunity to talk about reboots and revivals of properties. And at various times, I have been the voice who says, why are we doing this? I always think about when we talked about the before Watchmen experience, I was so skeptical of that in every way before I even read any of those kind of graphic novel series that were riffing off of Watchmen. And for me, this new X-Files, I am glad it is happening. Maybe I'm just glad because of the, because the Were Monster episode was such a delightful hour of television that wasn't like anything else I've seen in a while. But I, I feel like, you know, when a revival happens, you're sometimes worried about, Oh, like, is, is it ruining the show? Is it, you know, is it making me rethink what, what I liked about the show? I'm, I'm glad this revival is happening. Do you kind of feel like has, has, has this revival justified itself to you as an experience? Is it, is it something that you'd want to see continue in, in, in any way? I don't know if it's, it's justified itself and I don't buy I don't believe in the theory that it can really do anything to diminish the the greatness of the original series right. run. Right. Um, the original series is is great. Certain episodes are perfect. Though that that can't change. Right. Yes. And, and it kind of speaks to my larger attitudes on television, which is that I look at television. I appreciate series as things of their time. Mm-hmm. You know. The X-Files was a thing of the 90s. It was an essential thing of the 90s. And um, and it did some great things that endure that, like, I think we can go back. I think there's a lot of those episodes that you can watch and just really enjoy. Um, but, but it's best, like, appreciated as a thing of the 90s. In the same way that Lost, I love Lost, but I think that Lost is very much a thing of the new century mm-hmm. and very much a thing of that television environment and a product of that culture and talking about that moment of time. Um, all of that said, I, I don't, I too have grown really kind of cynical and weary of reboots and revivals. 
um, especially as we start to get start to get more and more of them that play directly to me and my nostalgia <laughs> and like um, I, I I have mixed feelings. It's about- it's it's your generation, Jeff. Your generation is is the new boomers of of the nineties. <laughs> right. I mean, like. This new Star Wars movie, which, yes, I really enjoyed and, yes, played very much to seven-year-old Jeff Jensen who fell in love with the original Star Wars and it hit me right there. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, it's like, like, uh, like uh, I want new things, yes. you know? Like, yes. I still feel that as much as I enjoyed and I think that J.J. did what needed to be done for Star Wars here and now. Um by the way, we need to talk about your essay some other time, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing, a very personal thing. We, we, we can talk about it in another that's, podcast. That's, that's very kind of you. Um, let's, let's save that for, for, for a special three-hour podcast yeah, about yeah, yeah. Star Wars. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I itch, for, I itch for new original things. I want less things that kind of play to the essential, you know, pop culture experiences of my, you know, teens and twenties and early thirties. Um, that said, I, I, I make a special exception for the X-Files for a couple reasons. <laughs> One is I just think that Mulder and Scully are great characters and I think their relationship is interesting to see play out as they get older. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I think that their story is ongoing. You can revisit them and uh, it, it, it makes dramatic sense. It makes creative sense. I also think that the structure of the show is just so durable. I mean, like, I'm just trying to think, like, other than, like, anthology series like Black Mirror, like, I'm trying to think, is there a science fiction show on the air right now that gives you that kind of case of the week that digs down on some kind of, like, high concept sci-fi idea that's some allegory or metaphor for contemporary concerns? Like, I don't think that there is a show like that in... And like the so the storytelling franchise then of the X Files, like you know, it, it, it needs to speak to the times, but it, but it's durable. I mean, yes, it, it endures. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can. Relevant. It's funny. Like when we think about the inheritor of that legacy, the X Files, I can only think now of something like Rick and Morty, which is so much more openly. It, it, it's more openly everything, but but certainly you know in its kind of experimentation and the fact that each week is its own little kind of nugget of a lot of science fiction ideas that get refocused and refracted. But, 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 and yet the X-Files, it was doing all of that in the context of a very solid network procedural. And I, I just think there, there's something about that achievement that I find so interesting in comparison to, there are so many shows now that are more openly, for lack of a better word, nerdier right up front. I mean, at some point, hopefully soon, I'm, I'm currently in the middle of season one, but we'll talk about the hundred, which uh-huh. is a really interesting show in a lot of ways, but you know that is a show that in its pilot episode is just there is a chain gun fired at you of narrative conceits you need to accept right away, and yeah. the fact that the X Files just so subtly and wonderfully brought everyone into that that world is is something that I think is very profound. We'll it's have something to do a we'll podcast about the hundred. I, I wrote a review about the hundred for for, for for this week's issue. I've become a new fan of that. Show. Incredible! It's, right. it's a really, it's yeah. a really surprisingly strong show. I, I'm really digging into it. We'll have to talk about that in the future. Uh, find Jeff's recaps of the new season of The X-Files on EW.com. Uh, Jeff, as we're recording this, I'm not sure that you, you've you started them yet, or, or you have started I, them. I, I, I've been thinking 
thinking about it as we've been talking, and it's, it's like not even halfway done, and it's already way too long. <laughs> this, this is still... At some point, Jeff, I always dream when I'm reading your recaps, I want at some point to get to the bottom of page four, and for you to just say, end of prologue at the end. That's what I'm always That's what I'm always dreaming of. Um, find those on EW.com. Follow Jeff at EW.DocJensen. Follow me at Darren Franich. Uh, if you want to talk new X-Files, or if you have an X-Files episode you want to call out as being particularly awesome, uh, email me at Darren underscore Franich at EW.com. We'll chat about it in our next episode. Jeff? Never email me about anything. Never email Jeff. Jeff is not on email, but if you want to go to a cave in the middle of the uh, of the Australian outback, sacrifice a goat, do a dance under under the blood moon, uh, then, then perhaps perhaps you'll get a a, a a recap written on a on a typewriter of uh, the latest episode of X Files. Uh, Jeff, good to be back. You too. Yeah.